Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our gospel lesson recorded for us in the Gospel of St. Mark, the first chapter, beginning at the 12th verse. And I invite you to please rise for the life of our Lord. The Spirit immediately sent Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels were serving him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. Dear fellow redeemed, you've probably heard before that John 3.16 is referred to as the gospel in a nutshell. What that means is that one verse summarizes so well what you need to know to have eternal life. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Points us to Jesus as the way of salvation. As a Lutheran pastor who's been taught well that the scripture has two chief doctrines, that of law and gospel, I've often thought of another passage that maybe summarizes well the entire Bible and maybe can be called the Bible in a nutshell, and that's Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the undeserved gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, has both law and gospel very clearly shown just in one verse. Our lesson for today is a very short gospel reading, just four verses, but in those four verses we see a summary of Jesus' work, what Jesus came to do. Maybe we can think about it as Jesus' ministry in a nutshell, that Jesus came to defeat Satan for you, that Jesus also came to proclaim salvation to you. Mark is one of three evangelists who shares with us the the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, but his account is by far the shortest, just two verses long. And yet, there's something that we can note about this account, that he mentions why Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted, that he's brought there by the Spirit Holy Spirit. And so this isn't just a a chance occurrence that takes place, that Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan tempts him there, but God the Holy Spirit actually led him into the wilderness. He led him out there knowing that he was going to be tempted, knowing that this is God's will for Jesus. We might say, why? What's the point? Wasn't it good enough that Jesus goes to the cross? Does he really have to face Satan also in the wilderness? It's good for us to remember the events that took place in Genesis chapter 3. As Adam and Eve were also tempted in the wilderness, or tempted in the garden, I should say, but by Satan. But after that occurred, God came to them and he spoke to Satan and he said, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. Adam and Eve had been tempted in 
the garden. They'd been tempted by the devil. They'd been given in to his temptation. God said as a result of this, death and destruction would come into the world for them and for all their descendants. And he gave the promise that someone was going to come. The seed of the woman was going to be born, one who would take on Satan and win. He'd take on Satan in the same way that Satan had come to Adam and Eve and tempted them. Think about what the scripture says about Jesus. It says, this is why the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. As he came to battle the devil and to win. And that didn't just mean on the cross. It's good for us to remember that God's word doesn't just say the wages of sin is death. It doesn't just tell us the consequence and punishment for sin that we deserve. But it also demands this. It says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It doesn't just say don't break God's commandments, but fulfill them in every way perfectly. And that's why Jesus also came to obey the commandments, to face every temptation in your place and to fulfill it perfectly. I know I've used this illustration multiple times, and I'm sure many of you have heard it from me before, but it's, it's a good one to remember the necessity of Jesus' holy life here on this earth. I want you to imagine a beautiful summer day as a father heads off to work, and he instructs his son, who's home for summer vacation, who's in junior high, he tells him, son, I expect the lawn to be mowed by the end of the day when I get home. Dad leaves, and the son's left home alone. He thinks to himself, summer vacation, I'm not going to mow the lawn, I'm going to go play baseball. He goes in the backyard taking his bat and ball, and he hits it a few times, and all of a sudden, the kitchen window breaks. The boy breaks down in tears. The neighbor sees it all, and he comes over, and he asks him what's wrong, and he explains to him, Dad told me to mow the lawn, and now the window's broken. He's going to be so mad. But the neighbor says to the boy, Son, I'll fix it. He has compassion. He shows mercy, and goes to the hardware store. He picks out the pane of glass, and he, he comes back, and he puts it in, and after hours of all that work, it's complete. And imagine if, if Dad came home at that, that moment... How would he act toward his son? Would he be angry? I think we'd say yes. The reason why is because dad didn't tell his son just not to break the window. That was a given, right? Don't break any windows on the house. He had told him, mow the lawn, and the son had not done that. So thankfully the neighbor quickly takes care of that too with his rider before dad gets home. I'd like us to, to think about that in a way, though, as an illustration of what Jesus needed to come to do for us. He needed to come not just to pay the punishment for our sin, not just to fix what was broken. That's what he does on the cross. But he also needs to fulfill the law the way that God demands, the way that we could not, and the way that we have not. And that's kind of that illustration of the mowing of the lawn. Christ does all of that for you and for me, and and that is why he also enters into temptation in the wilderness, to live that perfect life. You know, when it comes to temptation, sometimes we maybe don't take it all that serious. 
In our world today, we think about how temptation sometimes is presented. It's sometimes it's a little bit spicy, a little bit sensual, uh, a little bit fun to be tempted by, by tantalizing sin. But if that's our view of temptation, we've already lost, right? We've already given in to thinking that sin is a good thing for us. And it's not. Really, what is temptation? It's really Satan trying, uh, trying to get us to conform to his will, what he wants, instead of conforming to God's will and what he says in his word. When it comes to Jesus, though, we might wonder, was it really that tough for him? After all, he's God, isn't he? He's perfect in every way. Was this really a temptation for him at all? I mean, we think about ourselves and our, our human nature and our bodies. We are so weak. But Jesus is so strong. But just because Jesus is God, just because he is perfect in every way, it doesn't lessen the temptation or make the temptation any less real that he endured. It's good to remember also that Jesus endured this temptation not just as God but also as, as true man, man as well. He's a human being like one of us. Maybe a good way to think about it is in this way. I know back when I was in high school, I uh, took a physics class, and I remember our teacher uh, one day told us that we had to design a bridge out of balsa wood. Maybe your physics teachers made you do the same thing. We had to design a, a bridge that could, could stand the most amount of weight in proportion to the weight of the bridge. And so we took our time designing our bridges, and, and when that section was over, we brought all of our bridges to class, and I remember the teacher bringing the desks together and putting the bridges uh, across the desks, and one by one, he put this contraption on them that allowed him to hang weight from the bridges. And so he'd test the bridges in every way, and it was exciting to watch as he'd add more and more weight to the bridge, and all of a sudden they'd kind of basically explode under the, the burden and, and weight that was added to them. But I, I think about those bridges, whether the, the bridge was one that, that busted quickly or took a long time, the stress on those bridges was the same, wasn't it? The same amount of weight that was applied to, to each of them, whether it was a weak bridge or, or it was a strong bridge. And so too, when it, when it comes to Christ, even though he is God. Even though he is perfect in every way, it doesn't mean that the temptation was any less for him. The same stress, the same temptation was placed upon him. Yet what does the scripture say? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And the point there is not just to say that, that Jesus understands, certainly the passage relays that to us, that he knows the temptation we endure. He knows what that's like. It's not just to tell us that, that Jesus faced every temptation of Satan and never sinned, and so we should be like Jesus. Just remind us that Jesus came to do that for you. Jesus faced every temptation of Satan and won because you have failed. Because of Adam and Eve who failed in the, the garden when they were tempted by Satan, and we too who have been tempted in so many ways, Jesus came to fa face Satan and win 
But not just to do it as your example, to do it in your place, to do it as your Savior, to give his perfect record of never once failing in temptation to God as your record. That he has done everything right on your behalf. And having taken on Satan in the wilderness and won in that battle, St. Mark records for us what Jesus goes on to do as he goes on to Galilee to also carry out his ministry. Not just in, in living a holy life and paying for the sins of the world, but also proclaiming that salvation. As he says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent. That means to confess our sins and to really turn away from those sins. And he encourages us instead to believe the gospel, to believe the good news that Christ has lived and died for you. We often mention that Lent is a season of repentance. It's especially a time for us to focus on our sins, the things that we have done wrong, to confess them, turn away from them, to turn to God as our Savior. Yet repentance is difficult. And why is that? I think it's because none of us want to admit that we're a bad person or that we've done something wrong or, or something evil. We maybe say to ourselves, I'm not naive. I, I know the ways of the world. I see it all around me. I see the people. I see what happens as they show on, on TV and online. I see all of the bad things that occur and, and I know that I am not part of it. And maybe when we do something that's not right and, and someone confronts us on it, what is our response? So often we can grow defensive, right? We try to justify our actions. The reason I did this was because of this, that, or the other thing. Or, or maybe we try to explain it away. Well, you see, it really wasn't wrong for this or, or that reason. In fact, you're wrong for, for attacking me. And part of it really comes down to our own conscience. And it troubles us to think that, that we have done evil, that we have done wrong, that we are not a good person all of the time. And it's unsettling. But the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible says that it's so important for us to recognize our own sin, our own misdeeds, our own evil that lies within. It's only by doing that that we can be really truly ready to believe the gospel. It's only when we first see our sin that we see a need for a Savior. And herein lies the second part of Jesus' twofold message. Not only does he, he preach that, that difficult thing of repentance, he also preaches believe the gospel, believe the good news. He wants us to believe with our whole hearts that he has been a good person for you, a perfect person for you. That he has faced every temptation that you have faced and where you have failed, he has succeeded. He's done it in your place. He's gone further than that, though. He has gone even to the cross to, to fix what was broken, right? To fulfill that, that prophecy laid down in the, the garden 
As God had foretold the seed of the woman who had come to crush Satan's forever. It's interesting to think about what that passage also mentions, how, how Satan would crush his heel, and we can maybe think about almost like a, a snake biting into Jesus' feet and into his hands as he's pierced on the cross. What does Jesus do by that? He defeats Satan's power forever. That Satan has no hold on us, as he no longer has any hold on Adam and Eve or anyone rely on Jesus who has come to live and to die for us. And he says, simply believe. Believe in me. Believe that I have done these things for you. Believe that I have lived this perfect life in your place. Believe that I have died on the cross and made satisfaction for your sin. It's all taken away. And know that you have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But there's part of us that says, how can it be so easy? How can it be so easy, Pastor? How can it be that salvation is a free gift? Does that mean that, that it doesn't matter at all how I live? It doesn't matter at all what I've done in the past? I think when those sort of thoughts come into our mind, it's because there's part of us that wants to believe that the reason that we're acceptable in God's sight is because there's a little bit of good in us. Or at least because we've been a little bit better, or at least tried to be a little bit better than the average person. St. Paul wrote these words, This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Think about St. Paul. St. Paul who converted thousands, who dedicated his life to proclaiming the good news of salvation, who risked everything as he was imprisoned in Rome and many believe even stood trial before Caesar himself and died for his faith. St. Paul, who penned so many words of the New Testament, St. Paul says that he is the worst of sinners and if he can make that claim, certainly we must include ourselves too. Yet the amazing truth that still remains is this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But only sinners. A few weeks ago I was reading through a meditation book and I came across this. It said, said these words. A broken heart is a blessed thing. Because it is in a position to understand the real nature of God when it hears the gospel of God's forgiveness. Once when Luther's heart was crushed by the knowledge of his sin, his mentor John Stalpitz told him this was exactly why God had sent his son. You will have to get used to the belief that Christ is a real savior and you are a real sinner. Think about those words. For Christ to be a, a real Savior, we have to be real sinners, don't we? And so it's good for us to contemplate our sins, to acknowledge our sins, that we truly deserve God's wrath and punishment for all the things that we have done wrong, that there is no good thing in us. To understand that Christ came for real sinners like you and me, and that He is a real Savior who has come to live and to die for you. That Christ came, not for the good people, but he came for the rotten people. 
He came for the people that have broken marriages. He came for the people that have been loose with their sexuality. He's come for the thieves. He's come for the greedy. He's come for the homosexuals. He's come for the drunkards. He's come for the selfish. He's come for the self-righteous. He's come for sinners like you and me. Yet him, in him is found salvation. What a nice summary we see in our lesson for today of, of Christ's ministry, what he came to do. He came to take on Satan, to defeat him, not only at the cross, but also as he is tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. He did that for you. But he also came to proclaim salvation, that in him there is forgiveness in life. Treasure that precious gift. Amen. I invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.